Chris, uh, would you just update us on where you've been and what you've been up to? Yes. Um, first of all, I just want to thank you guys all for your support and your care. And this last year, um, I spent three months doing a midwifery training. I'm a nurse, and I got a um, specific training for that. And then I went to the Philippines and had an incredible opportunity to help deliver um, babies for some of the poorest of the poor. And um, one of the things I really learned there was just it, it was kind of a symbol of the body of Christ to me because we just supported and gave them a comfortable place to be and brought a new life into this world. And um, we didn't really do much except for to love them and to, to be there and create a comfortable place for them. And um, just humbling to me. And then I went from there, and I going to be, was going to be going out with Youth with a Mission to Afghanistan. And um, so I had to go to a training program in New Zealand, which was wonderful and so beautiful. There I sat under a bunch of teaching, and God really worked and transformed me in a lot of ways. But the, the biggest way was um, <clears throat> he made very clear to me I had a problem with him being good and um, all the injustice in this world. And so a lot of that four months was just me really wrestling with how can God be all good and all loving and these horrible things still happen around the world and, and not go away? And where is he in the midst of those horrible things? And, um, <clears throat> and then from there, I spent two months in Cambodia um, really focusing on sex trafficking that was happening there. And um, a group of six of us went there and, and partnered with some organizations that were fighting against sex trafficking. And my eyes were just awakened to the um, realities of, uh, unfortunately, a lot of women and children around this world that are um, being sold and trafficked um, for money or power or whatever it is. And um, through that um, experience, my heart was just broken as I saw and got to hear some of the testimonies of these girls. And I knew at that moment that I couldn't have heard what I heard and saw what I saw and not do something about it. And um, just so happens that um, the, my departure for Afghanistan was put on hold for about two years. And I had this chunk of time, and I said, God, what do you want to do with it? And um, <clears throat> I was approached by a friend of mine who has started an organization called Justice Reach. And she said, will you come and help me pioneer, help me join in the fight against sex trafficking. And um, it's nothing that I ever thought I would do, but um, it's what's been presented to me. And so that is kind of where I'm headed next. There's a couple of things about your story that I love to hear. First of all, it's amazing God's redirecting and routing you, and it's a beautiful thing. I think one thing that you model as I've watched from afar is just obedience. Uh, I'm going to ask you something else. So there's two questions I have. Would you explain uh, something like you did at the 9 a.m.? That experience that you had of knowing that God is all good, but yet just, and that there's, there's, he's good and loving, yet there's injustice in the world. Would you just explain that process of what you've been experiencing? That's one. The second thing I want to throw at you is you, you keep saying something that I think maybe you might assume, and that's that you hear God and that you do something. And I think we might take this for granted because here's someone that lived in Huntington, right? Huntington or where was it? You lived in Cyprus, excuse me. But you left, you sold everything to move eventually to be going to Afghanistan. Uh, and that is a, a crazy thing to do. <laughs> Yet you heard God and you did it. So maybe, just, would you just share a little bit about that too, since you're up here? Yeah. <clears throat> Funny thing is, is we had a, a section of time in this training in um, New Zealand ta call, calling hear God's voice. And I was so scared. Because it was like, I don't know if I do. And then my friends were like, come on, hello. Like, you wouldn't be here. And, and I think that's the thing is that we recreate hearing God and being prompted by God is this huge thing. 
and, um, and, you know, lightning or bolts or riding on the wall or something really big. But it's, it's just the stillness in, in walking every day of going, what is it that you want? And it's sometimes it can be the simplest prompting. Um, and just step forward and you just go into it. And so I think, unfortunately, we've created it to be something that seems unreachable. But, but it isn't. It, it happens all the time. And God, the Holy Spirit is already working in each one of us. And we just have to be surrendered and, and, and spend a minute to go, what it is that you're doing? And we'll start walking in that direction. Now, I never in a millionth years would have thought I would be where I am right now. And, and, and there has been lots of questions. Is this really you? And I don't know. But as I continue to walk that out day by day, he's going to be faithful to continue to direct me and put things in front of my path to go, yeah, you're, you're doing it right. You're on the right track. And I'm going to fall down and get messed up, and I get that messed up a lot. But he, um, yeah, I, I guess it's just just listening and, and being still. And, um, and that can come in a lot of ways, through other people and, or just his, his small voice of just leading and guiding the rest. And um, the piece about injustice um, and, just, and being, uh, God being just, sorry, and, and being made and good, um, they, they do work together, and it doesn't make sense in our world because it's broken, and there's forces that are in um, con- conflict with one another. And <clears throat> so, yes, he can be all good, and he could just rescue us out of all of that. But the the amazing thing is, is that we have a God that, who's chosen to walk with us in the midst of that brokenness and in the midst of that plan, and that's really the difference between Jesus Christ and the God that we serve than every other God that people around the world worship because he already suffered and that is what compassion really is, is he suffers with us. And so when I've looked around and seen the horrors and seen these girls who might not ever get rescued, honestly, out of trafficking, and there's just going to be more, it, I didn't want to walk into that place because it was too overwhelming to me because it's too hard to really, to really look at that pain. But what, what, we ha- what I have to offer, what we have to offer is a God of hope, a God of love, who got, a God who's going to sit with you in the midst of that pain and go, I'm here and even though your circumstance might not change, even though I might not, he might not choose to, to withdraw you from that. He's going to walk with you through that and provide you the love and the, the, everything that you need to, to stay in that place. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. That, um, yeah, that's good. Um, so where are you going next? What's the plan? How can we support and pray, you, pray for you as a church? And then you, have, you had an interesting story. Would you share that story that you shared at the night? That'd be great. Um, I, one of the things that I love about this community is I really feel like it's real, vulnerable, authentic people just learning how to walk the road. And I'm just one of those people. And I think um, being part of the garden from the very beginning, it was getting to watch people not do it right or we all get messed up or sounds not good or whatever and that created a safe place for me to come and do the same thing and I don't want it to ever lose that and as I've traveled around one thing I've re- I really really missed most was my home church community and because because I saw it as a bunch of individual people choosing every day to go out and go how do I exemplify Christ's love to the world how do I walk that out in my life and it's um it's it's neat that we can all come together in, and do that, but then also go out and do that individually. And um, and it's the Christ, the hope in us, and we all have it to give to somebody else. And um, the story that I shared earlier was I was in Cambodia, and we were going to go move this family out of the shack because it was unsafe. 
and I had gotten delayed, and my team had already gone, and so I walked down this dirt path, and it's in one of the pictures on here, um, and she, and I come up upon this little shack, and there's this woman, crippled old lady, that cannot move, laying in the doorway, and I thought, oh, that must be who we're moving, well, of course we're moving her, and so I went up, and I sat next to her, and I can't talk to her, but I grabbed her withered hand, and I looked in her eyes, and, uh, and it was just like she dared me. Do you dare to really spend the moment to really look at me? Do you dare to really look at my withered body? Do you dare really look at me? And I went, oh, wow. Yeah, I do. I do. And I have, I can't speak your language, but I can, I can love on you. I can love, I can pray that God would just love you in a way I can't. And so I sat there and I said, I'm not going to be the one to look away. You know, kind of like when you're little and you used to have that staring contest. <clears throat> So I just stared at her, and I prayed for her, and, and she had fear, just a lot of fear in, in, uh, in her eyes. And, and after a while, she just began to weep, and I just kept praying that God would just love her. And so after a little while, it wasn't who we were moving, but after a little while, um, I left, and we were planning on going back to see her about a week later, and we never got the opportunity to, and I was really sad because I really wanted to go and, and just to share Christ with her. That's what I wanted to do. And um, so with the last day that we were in Cambodia, we were going to we were going to leave and our, the missionary that working for we had all these plans. And he, he said, you know, I was praying this morning. And do you guys mind if we change our plans? And we said, of course not. What do you want to do? And he's like, I want to go visit grandma. And I thought, oh, wow. Well, about a um, 40, few days previous, what I forgot to mention was it was raining really hard and her shack was right by the river. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and um, I was really scared for her because if the, ro- the ri- river would rise, and she would be washed away and out of her house, and she can't move. And I was like, God, I really want to go see her today. And, but that was a few days previous, and we didn't, when we were supposed to go, and we didn't get to go. And so now it's you know, about five days later. And uh, so I'm really excited to go visit Grandma. And I go, and somebody had moved her to a new house higher up the river, and I was so excited. And... I walked in, and she had her eyes were different. There was a there was a hope there that hadn't been there, and she wasn't quite as fearful as she had been. And and so I commented on that through the translator, and she said, "Yes, I know. Ever since you left, something different, something changed in me." And I started praying to that Jesus that that you prayed to when you were here before. And last night I was weeping because I was so sad because I wanted to see you again. And so I just asked Jesus, if, if I could ask anything, would you just have them come back? And, it, and so we came back in the morning. And, and it was powerful to me because I didn't have anything, really. I just sat there with the woman, and it, was, and it really caught me that so much of our time we just go about our lives, and, um, and we don't really stop to take a look at the people around us. And I really feel like that's what God has asked us to do, is just to have eyes to see and to really sit and look at people, and really look at people that have pain, and really look at people that um, are hurting or just might look ugly or what to our, or to our eyes, and, and allow Christ the hope in us to, to really minister to that person, because that's what we have to give to the world. And as far as what I'm doing next, I'm hoping or seemingly planning to go um, back to New Zealand to work with an organization called Justice Reach, and they... Um, it's a very small new organization partnering with um, some other organizations in Cambodia and in India to just fight against sex trafficking and to bring advocacy and awareness to that. So my plan is to leave possibly in September. And, um, yeah, so that's what I'm had to, had to do next. 
Thank you so much for sharing. Can we give her a round of applause? Thank you. Um, Chris, uh, Chris will be back, uh, or I'm sorry, she'll be here for a little while, but she'll be in the back, and there's uh, some information about what she's up to. Um, and it, as you read, if you need a seat, there's some seats in the front too. But as you read the New Testament, I don't, if you read these letters that Paul writes, there's always, at, at the end of every letter, there's, there's people he lists. There, there are relationships that he is t- reminding people of. Say hi to such and such. Remember such and such. And as you see the ministry that is, uh, of min- missionaries going overseas, apostolic leader, uh, leadership happening to the nations, um, it's always based in local church relationships. So I want to say this to our church. Chris is here. The Stivers are here in the back. They're missionaries to Tanzania. And we need to bless the heck out of them. We need to invite them over to our homes. We need to overwhelm them with hospitality. We need to be on their email list. We need to provide for them financially. So the commission, the invitation, the challenge as gardeners is not to let that fall on a staff because we don't have a big staff. But let it be the people of the garden. Let it be us that cares for them as they're away. That keeps their relationship here. That that knows what their prayer requests are. That's the only way this whole thing's going to work. It comes out of intimate relationships. So please do that. Um, That would be amazing. Let me pray for us and I'm going to invite Bill up. And uh, we will continue our time. Lord, I thank you for the testimony that uh, Chris brings to us of obedience, of adventure, of, of risk, of courage to leave everything to, because she heard you say go. Lord Jesus, give us that spirit. Give us a spirit that is willing to hear and obey. That is willing to uh, leave everything because you said so. I pray for the courage, Lord, in the lives that we have now to be adventurous as, as stay-at-home moms at the playground watching our kids, to be led by the Spirit to those conversations, to be led by the Spirit to share our faith at the, at the Starbucks, to be led by the Spirit to challenge coworkers' realities with the reality of the kingdom. Lord, would you give us um, obedience in our faith with you? And Holy Spirit, I pray for the message this morning that we would be um, open to what you're doing and that we would be good soil for your ministry. I pray this in your name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, um, in this series that we're doing on transformational practices, the things that were, were invited into, uh, those disciplines, those exercises, those things that we do to create space for partnership with the Holy Spirit, um, and that's up there so that if you want to follow along on the, on the version, uh, that's how you get there. Uh, if you already have done that, you can either go through this site or through the garden uh, lb.org and uh, and get to there so all of the passages of scripture and so on and so forth uh, that we'll be referring to are are, are there for uh, your use this next week remember the transformational practices the disciplines the exercises we do are not necessarily in and of themselves the point they are always primarily ways that we can put ourselves in partnership with the Holy Spirit, who is working uh, to produce uh, the character of Christ in us. We cannot, by doing these things, become Christ-like. 
But by doing these things, we can partner with the Spirit who works Christ-likeness into us. You, you see? Because He's going to do that regardless. But I'd like to cooperate with Him. I'd like to take advantage of the stuff that actually happens in my life and put it at His disposal so that He can use it in the formation of me to, to, to Christ-likeness, which is the ultimate goal, the ultimate, the ultimate aim. So... When we, when we talk about this discipline today of praying pain, not praying through pain, not praying about pain, but actually praying pain, lifting our pain as prayer, as bittersweet incense to the Father, we do that because we all, at some point or other, living in the broken world that we live in, are going to experience pain, suffering, disappointment, frustration, either things that we do to others or things that others do to us or things that happen and we are collateral damage in somebody else's chaos. Stuff is going to happen. And at times, God delivers us from the consequences of those things, but most of the time, he is present, as Chris mentioned, with us in it and doesn't get us out of it. Uh, so much so that we can look at the times when he delivers us and call them miracles. But please remember, miracles are not normal. They're normal in the fact that we can anticipate them happening, but they are not always part of our everyday life. He doesn't always do what he wants and will eventually do. Because his purposes in the moment are not just to get us out of the mess, but to take advantage of the mess to form us into certain kinds of people. Does that make sense? Because the, the fact of the matter is, if, if, if suffering and pain was the primary way of Jesus being formed, we ought not be surprised that it will be the primary way in which we are formed. Does, uh, does, that, does that make sense? So I think, uh, Miguel, if you've got the Hebrews uh, passage, um, uh, it, look at this. This is, this is um, Hebrews chapter 5. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of, of his reverent submission. Just leave it there for a second. Please notice, can we establish for the record that Jesus had faith? Is everybody okay with that? I can go through and demonstrate that if you want, but can we just, as a case of point, say he had faith? So when Jesus prayed, how did he pray? with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. What was the outcome of his prayers? He didn't get them answered. Is that because he didn't have faith? Or is it possible that it was because he had faith that he could live with unanswered prayer? The point I was trying to make a couple of weeks ago is a very difficult one for us that sometimes it takes more faith to live with a no than it would have been to live with a yes. 
Look at the next verse. Even though, uh, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source then of eternal salvation for all who obey him. How do you think you and I are going to learn obedience? If this is the one whom we follow as Lord, we ought not be surprised when suffering becomes part of our journey. Now, please don't misunderstand me. This isn't some, some kind of masochism. Let's go out and find new ways to suffer. You don't have to look for it. Life happens. It occurs. And when it does, what are we to do with it? Well, first of all, we don't, by faith, deny it. Faith is not lying. Faith stands suffering, in suffering, fully present to it. Because some of us in our community here are dealing with chronic illness, some with troubled relationships, some with damage that has been done to you, having suffered abuse in childhood. Some of you are dealing with the pain of being an abuser in this season of your relationship. And let us be very, very clear on this. If God is not good enough for the perpetrator of injustice, he is not good for the victim of injustice either. We want God to be just to the victims. I do too. But can we be clear on this? He loves the perpetrator too. He cares about those men and women who were damaged for the rest of their lives by the shooting in Colorado earlier this, this week. He cares about them. But he also cares about the young man who did it. How you doing? This is really important. Because sooner or later, while we are sometimes the victim of life as it happens... Sometimes we are the perpetrator of life as it happens to somebody else, too. And if God is only good when we are the innocent victim, then we're out of luck when we're not. So I, I, I want to invite you into a God. And by the way, if your God isn't good enough for the victimizer, you need a new God. Because the God of the Scripture cares about that person as much as he does about the ones who are the victims of that person. Why? Well, just purely statistically, there's probably somebody in the background of that person who damaged him or her that leads to the pain inflicted on others. Not excuse, not even necessarily reason, but just an invitation to not monsterize victimizers, not dehumanize them. Because the truth of the matter is, we live in this kind of a world. And this is not God's idea of how it ought to be. It's very clear from Genesis, this isn't his plan. This is what happens when we're in charge, unanchored to our identity as his image. This is what happens. So now here we are. 
living in a broken and fallen and damaged world into which Christ has come to redeem and restore. And the image of Christ's incarnation is one of brokenness. So if we follow Him, are His disciples, we need to be trained in brokenness. We need to be trained in a non-triumphalistic faith. We need to be trained in suffering and pain. Why? Well, because pain is a gift. Hard as it is for us to hear, and as desperately as we deny it in our cultural reality, we push so hard back against pain. We don't want to experience emotional pain. We don't want to experience physical pain, surely, We'll medicate, we will hide, we will do everything in our power to avoid pain. And when we do, we avoid our lives. Our addictive culture is not a culture of the embrace of life. It is in a culture of the disconnection from life. Because life has pain attached. So if we're going to live, guess what? We're going to experience pain. Any life in which we avoid pain is a life that increasingly gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. If you want to avoid the pain that is implicit in relationships, the best way to do that is to build a big moat, a big wall, make the walls nice and thick to protect your heart from the potential of risk that might come from loving someone. Here's the problem. Those walls close in. And your world gets smaller and smaller. Am I saying anything that anybody doesn't know? Why then do we work so hard to avoid the very thing that will shape us into Christ-likeness if instead of running from our pain, causing it, by the way, to grow... we would turn and head towards it, causing it thereby to shrink and be formed by it. See, pain is one of those things. The further away from it you are, the larger it is. The closer you get to it, the smaller it becomes until you discover, unlike what you believed at first, you are bigger than your pain. Your pain doesn't define you. It's not something we look forward to, but if it's going to come on, bring it on. Do you see? So as we sit with this, let's realize pain is that gift of things gone wrong. Uh, it, it, it lets us know that, that something has occurred that ought not uh, occur, that, that, that we are wise to pay attention to it. When the red light goes on on the dashboard, I, I need to pay attention to that. That's what pain is to us. We don't do any good by duct taping over the red light. That doesn't fill the oil back up. But it avoids the pain. Do you see? Uh, and and, and it's, a, it's a gift to let us know. The, the sufferers of leprosy, the, the Hansen's disease, um, one of the um, symptoms of Hampton's, Hansen's disease, one of the, the things that occurs with it is the loss of nerve tissue at the end of the extremities, which then puts them in harm's way without them even knowing about it. They can pick up something that's, 
that's hot and would normally be dropped quickly because of the, the surge of pain from the heat. They don't even feel it. And as a result, burn their fingers. And that's what causes the disintegration and damage. Because they have no nerve endings, no pain sensors to let them know where they end and something harmful begins. So pain for us is a, is a now, now here's the truth about it. It is like that red idiot light on the dashboard. It's a fairly gross indicator. It, it, it's not, doesn't give us a level of precision as to what the pain is about or what it means or where it comes from. It, 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 it doesn't distinguish between pain that's warning or pain that's symptom or pain that's consequence or pain that's a problem or pain that's appropriate and legitimate and proportional to the, to the situation that occurs. Uh, it, it just doesn't help us know, or it doesn't even help us know how much of our emotional and mental and spiritual pain is about simply identifying with the sufferings of Christ. All we know is that it hurts, right? So we need to, we need to start to exegete pain without deifying it. We're not defined by our pain, but if we have it, let's not waste it. We need training in pain if we're going to be useful to the kingdom of God and partner with the Holy Spirit in his work in this because pain is part of our training in righteousness as well. Again, if Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered, that's probably at least partly how we're going to learn alignment, learn obedience through those same kinds of things. So how do we do this? First of all, when we pray pain, the biggest temptation is to run away, to avoid it, to find ways of medicating, whether it's uh, pharmaceuticals or alcohol or work or other toxic relationships or just abandonment. Please notice that this temptation is not new to us. Look at Psalm 55 verses 4 through 8 and, and we'll look at it here. My heart is in anguish within me, the terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay even in the desert. How many can resonate with that prayer? Right? I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. And what would you discover when you got there? That's the temptation. Because wherever you go, there you are. Right? So we can avoid the externals. We can move away from them. But the internal stuff, the real hard work of pain, we carry with us. So even if we had the wings of a dove, guess what? those wings would carry our pain with us. Especially because most of us are the biggest pains to ourselves. Okay, no witness there. All right. What do we need to do? Well, the first thing, you've got to just accept it as real. Faith does not deny the reality of pain. Like I said, faith doesn't lie. If you're hurting, it is not faith to say, no, I don't hurt. That's dumb. Right? 
So, so accept it as real. It's part of your existence. We don't deny it, especially of the heart and soul. By the way, where this really works itself out in harmful ways, if we're not careful, is with grief. Is with grief. Grief is the strongest of the human emotions. Grief over the loss of a loved one. Grief over the loss of something that was meaningful and significant to you. A relationship. Sometimes even we grieve uh, over the end of a season of our life. How do, how, do you, how do you do? Well, you don't deny the loss. You don't deny the pain. It's, it's, it's troubling to me that those of us who are in the Christian community seem to forget that death is still an enemy. That Jesus wept at the tomb of a man who ten minutes from now was going to raise him from the dead. Do, do, do you see with me what I'm, what I'm trying to say here? So, so if you feel sad, feel sad. If you feel like crying, cry. If you don't, don't. That's what I mean by just embrace what is real. Pain is a fact of existence. Accept it as appropriate. One of the things that I want to try and do is learn how to negotiate what pain is appropriate. But until I lean into it and accept it and embrace it, I can't attenuate it. I can't calibrate it. So if I'm in denial of it, it's never going to be calibrated. If I duct tape over the oil light, I'm never going to find out whether it's an indicator of some damage or maybe it's a sensor that's off. That occurs as well. Because we have to own it realistically. We don't over-respond to it. We don't under-respond to it. And that takes some training. How many of you noticed that? One of the things you do with kids, right, is train them as to what is an appropriate response to the pain they've experienced. And you, any of you have had kids, you know this, and any of you who were kids, you know this as well. That, that if you have an audience to your pain, you respond in a very different way than when you don't. Can I get a witness? Okay. I mean, our, our middle son fell off his bike out, outside... And, and, and kind, generous parent that I are, I are, yes, I was. I, I watched him through the window because he, he wasn't dead. He was still kind of twitching on the ground there for a while. Now, what did my boy do at the age of five, having fallen off? No, it wasn't his bike. It was his skateboard. He tried to land a trick, and it just didn't work very well, right? He looked around. What was he looking for? You know what he was looking for. He was looking for witnesses to his pain. And seeing none, he got up and tried the trick again. Now, what would have happened had Judy or I been out there? You know what would have happened. Because that happened on other occasions. It's the same thing with us. How many of you have noticed that pain increases through complaint? So what we have to do is train ourselves in pain. When you go into the, go into the hospital, they give you a 1 to 10. Just as a way to help you calibrate, where does this fit? And that takes a while to train into because we don't have any comparables. Do, 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 do you know, does like passing a kidney stone equal giving birth? 
How do you measure that? Everybody's pain is their own. So we need to be, this is, this is the point of discipleship, right? How do I live my life? It's, I, I've walked with people over 35 years of pastoral ministry through some horrific things. The death of a child through drowning in a swimming pool. The, 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 the sudden snatching of a, of a, of a parent through a, a car accident. Catastrophic loss of everything through a house fire. Gone. Two minutes to get out. What do you take? I've walked through situations like that with, 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 with people. And, and, and everybody's journey is unique and different. And not one day's journey can be wasted by a God who is at work in all things, not always for my good, but for good. Now, that's hard for us because you might not always experience the, the outcomes as being good for you. We'll talk about what might be going on in a minute. So we lean into the pain. You feel what you feel. You brace yourself against that strong headwind of, of pain. That's hard for us. But map it. Contour it. Find out where the edges are. Find out what the texture is. Those of you who have experienced chronic pain of various kinds or other, either, you know, physical, certainly, but also emotional or mental, you know that it has a texture, that not all pain is the same. Sometimes it has that that rub, that texture, and it's just that, that, but sometimes it's just smooth as a sharpened razor blade. Uh, one of the exercises I walked a student through a few years ago who had um, experienced a diving accident was to, to, by her imagination, to get inside the pain that she was experiencing and, and draw me a, a two-dimensional map of it, and it was just the most profoundly, disturbingly beautiful map. But when she did that, we discovered that some pain was black, and some of it was dark purple, and some of it was bright, throbbing red, and some of it had razor-sharp edges that, that were formed into claws, and other of it was a, a slippery slope that if you start... That's... That's what I mean. We lean into it. We begin. If, if you want to learn forgiveness, the first step is to contour the pain of the betrayal. What's, what's it about? Now, why are we talking like this? Because, brothers and sisters, we live in a world that needs somebody to model how to carry pain as prayer. Because pain happens. Suffering happens. Who better than the community of the people of God who experience the same kinds of pain to model for this world how to carry it well to a father who can deliver and sometimes does and for the rest abides with us in it. Then we want to learn the lessons of the pain. We don't want to waste anything. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Learning the lessons may not cut it short. 
Because we do this calculus, don't we? It's like, okay, I know I've done something to get me here. By the way, if you ask that question, you didn't. What kind of a teacher would God be if you had to guess what you did to end you up here? He doesn't do that. If this is consequential, you'll know it. If this is discipline or even to some degree punishment, you'll know it. You'll know it. It won't be mystery to you. Okay? But in the middle of all of that, let's be, let's be very clear. We do this kind of negotiation. Okay, I've learned my lesson. Can we please move on to the joy part? Can we move on to the happy part? You know, I've, 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 I've lost something that meant something to me. And, and I, know I've, I know everything happens for a purpose. Can we please just stop saying that? Please? Purpose flows out of things. It doesn't move towards things. God is redeeming, not forcing. How are we doing? Nobody's thrown anything yet, so I'm going to keep going. Because this is really hard for us. Because it's, it's the way we start to make sense of the craziness of our lives, isn't it? Well, I know God's up to something. Well, that's true, but He didn't make this happen. I was sitting with a woman earlier this week, having experienced a miscarriage. I know God's doing something in this. Yes, He's weeping. He's embracing you in your loss. He didn't make your baby die for a purpose. But now that this has occurred, He's with you in it. He wants to walk with you in this season of loss and pain. So stop wasting time trying to figure out what you did to get you here. And just be here and let Him hold you in it. Make sense? We learn the lessons, not so that they get shortened, but so that pain doesn't go wasted. Then we lift it to the Father. Psalm 55, verses 1 through 3, invites us to this exploration. Listen to my prayer, O God. Don't ignore my plea. Hear me. Answer me. My thoughts trouble me. I'm distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked. They bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. So what am I going to do? As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening and morning and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. Now, what do we learn about the same praying with Jesus? Hearing his voice does not always mean delivering from the pain behind the voice. That's hard. That's hard. Until you're a parent and you realize you don't always do everything for your child that you have the power to do. Because to do so would be to cripple them. Yes? So as we sit with this text, we pray pain 
asking for release, for deliverance, let's be honest, even though we embrace it, even though we lean into it, we still don't like it, and it's still entirely appropriate for, for us to say, deliver me, get me out of this. Maybe, maybe he will. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. In the meantime, then, what we begin to pray for is strength while in it. Strength for it. Strength to endure. Strength to hang in there. Not always for release, but sometimes for capacity. Do, do you know? I was watching the guy on, the, uh, on one of the uh, horses uh, uh, at the Olympics yesterday. Just you know, doing doing all of the and any athlete who can do anything with any degree of, of efficiency or expertise just is jaw droppingly amazing to me, because I have no capacity for any of those things. My sole exercise is jumping to conclusions. So as 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 I'm watching these these folks, oh thank you, I'm, I, you're starting to drift off. Um, as I was watching this guy, I realized, and the commentator was making this, Bob Costas has this way of inserting 12,000 things into the commentary. So like, how does he even know that? But anyway, he was, he was talking about it, and, and he was saying, this guy has been promising this, has been practicing this move on this kind of horse for the last four years. He has probably done it 10,000 times. And that's for an athletic contest that at the end of the day may result in a gold medal that will sell on Pawn Stars in five years for $500. My guess is there were days he didn't feel like the vault. He didn't feel like using the pommel horse. My guess. What did he do? He put his big boy pants on and got to work. Can you do that for something that is much larger than a gold medal that will be sold on Pawn Stars in five years for $500? Can you do those kinds of things so that the outcome will be Christ formed in you? How do you ever expect, how do we ever expect to learn to maintain steadfastness in the face of adversity if every time there's adversity, we aren't steadfast? Do, do you see what we're up to here? So we lean into it and we lift it as prayer. We lift our pain to the Father. We, we talk to Him about it. We allow ourselves to be broken, to be spilled out, to be poured out as sacrifice, as offering. And prayer becomes that, prayer as pain becomes that bittersweet incense that we offer up to the Father and rises before Him. Because the ultimate goal on here is the sharing of the sufferings of Christ. We participate with Him. We enter in with Him. It's part of every growing relationship. He shares our pains with us and then as we are able, He shares His pain with us. He shares our pain and invites us to share His. I just need you to think about this. As the Father God looks at this broken world, who is He going to share that pain with? 
this is what sharing the sufferings of Christ, at least partly, are about, I think. Entering in. Earning the right to say, I'm going to plant here. I can be trusted to carry this. Some of you listening to Chris's story this morning had a, had a quickening in your heart about human trafficking. Others of you deal with issues of homelessness and, and, and poverty of various kinds and, and all kinds of other things. Why do you have that, that just that uh, moment? Because he's asking you to help carry his pain for this broken world. That's why. Paul talks about sharing the fellowship of his sufferings. I think this is part of what it is. And then we pray for grace and dignity and hope and faith. Look at the passage that immediately follows here, or that follows on. Go ahead, Miguel. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Now, the truth of the matter is that last verse is hard for me. How, what's the occasion of this prayer? The righteous have been shaken. Right? Otherwise, we're not praying. So when he's saying here is this, this statement, I'm, 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 I'm going to be shaken, but I'm not going to fall over. I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to cast my cares on the Lord, and I'm going to have to do that sometimes moment by moment by moment by moment. And in the middle of that, I'm going to trust him forward. I pray for strength to endure. Then we're going to learn how to rejoice. This is tough for us, but look at this next passage. In, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, We fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God, who for the joy that was set before him. Not happy times are here again when this is all done. But the reality of joy is not for Jesus' future. It's present. Joy does not mean we don't weep. Joy isn't at all the same as happiness. Joy has that capacity in the middle of extraordinary, excruciating pain to enable us to endure. So we need to rejoice. Go back to that source of joy. Go back to the relationship with Jesus. Connect whatever it is that we're experiencing with his sufferings on the cross. And plug into that same source of joy. So we come and tell Jesus. We pray our pain. We lift it to him. We sing and say it to him. We join our voice with his. Jamie and, and the team are going to come up. We're going to spend just a few minutes. And, and I recognize in our community this morning, there are people who are at various places here, including for whatever reason this season is, is past. You know that there may be another season coming, but for right now, we're, we're sailing along. That's wonderful. Lift that to him as well. But if you're coming in or going out or in the middle of a season of suffering, I want to take, invite you to take the next just even 10 or 15 minutes and lift that to him. Invite him into it. Don't do it on your own. And don't waste it. If you want to find your way to one of the crosses and people to pray with you in, that, uh, in those places, please feel free to do so. If you want to just grab three or four people around you and lift one another before the Lord, you are not disqualified because of your pain. 
In fact, your pain qualifies you to be trusted. Lord Jesus, I just ask for my brothers and sisters as we draw to conclusion this morning here. I pray, oh God, that you would help us to carry the weight of our city with you. To stand in front of the principalities and powers like our brother Job and declare, even if he kills us, we will trust him. To declare before a watching world that God is good, even if our current experience is not good, God is, and we will be faithful to him, even as he is faithful to us.